We are uh, going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we find ourselves now uh, in chapter 1, looking at verses 4 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to maybe grab, if you'd like, one of the blue Bibles located underneath the seat around you. You can turn that Bible to page 986, and that will bring you to our text uh, this morning. So now we return this morning to our uh, consideration of the thanks that Paul and his fellow ministers, Silvanus and Timothy, were regularly giving to God for the Thessalonian Christians while praying on their behalf. Last time we focused in on, last Sunday, on the three Christian virtues that were manifested in the lives of the new believers in Thessalonica, for which Paul and his missionary team always gave thanks to God. Those virtues, just to remind you, were the Thessalonians' work of faith, a faith that was producing a a work, uh, their labor of love, a labor motivated and empowered by their love, and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was verse 3. That was last, was that last week? That was the last Sunday before, because last week you preached. Yes, okay. So anyway, uh, anyway, that was a few Sundays ago. Today, we come to verse 4, as we're continuing to move through the text. And looking now beyond their Christian virtues, we will explore the ultimate cause for the thanks offered to God for the church of the Thessalonians, and that, beloved, specifically was Paul and his team's knowledge that God had indeed elected or chosen these Thessalonians for salvation. So, uh, let's read our text, and for context, we'll begin reading from verse 1. It's really just one large section here, all kind of directed towards or focused on this thanksgiving uh, that was being offered up for the church of the Thessalonians. So, beginning in verse 1, and I'll make a few comments as we read through. I'll read through to verse 7. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God. Who, beloved, to who was thanksgiving? God, because he was the one who was behind all that had occurred among these believers in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Okay, so the thanks is directed to the one to whom deserves it, because he's behind it all. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Who is the all of you? The church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonian Christians. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, literally, it's knowing. It's just knowing. I've uh, explained this before as we've gone through the passage. It's a participle. 
It's modifying. What that means is it's modifying a verb. In this case, it's modifying the verb in verse 2, translated, we give thanks. So, we give thanks knowing. We give thanks knowing. Knowing what? They gave thanks knowing, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Literally, in the original manuscripts, it says, your election. Your election, that's what it says. So we give thanks knowing, brothers loved by God, your election. Because, verse 5, so our knowing of this, of your election, is because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And, so this is the other because, still connecting back to verse 5, and it's because you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So, little, just make sure we didn't miss it. In verse 4, we learn then that Paul and his missionary team gives thanks to God for the Christians in Thessalonica, and that thanks was ultimately due to their conviction that these Thessalonians were indeed chosen by God for salvation, that they were elect. And then Paul goes on in verses 5 through 7 to explain the reasons he has for that conviction. Okay, so that's the structure. That's how the verse or the passage here is laid out. One writer says concerning Paul's conviction and his team's conviction, he says, Paul's assertion that he knew the Thessalonians were the subjects of divine election does not mean that Paul set in on the divine counsel when that choice was made. In other words, he was not there when God predetermined that these men and women in Thessalonica would, or Thessalonica would hear the gospel and respond to it in saving faith. He was not there for that. So how does he know? Well, it wasn't that he was there, nor does he mean that he had received a direct revelation from God in the matter. So it wasn't as if God spoke to him and said, I can assure you they are Save, they are my elect, they are my chosen ones. No. The knowledge of their election was an intuitive conviction based on known and observed facts. There were things that happened that occurred in the preaching of the gospel and the response of the Thessalonians that affirmed to the preachers of that gospel that these individuals were indeed the elect of God, chosen by him unto salvation. So that's the structure. Remember, what we're doing is we're examining what we've been doing for you know, a while, and we'll keep doing. We're examining this Thanksgiving that's being offered up, and then we're trying to draw lessons for us from it. All right? And we're going to keep doing that today. So concerning the, those known and observed facts, Paul, in verse 5, then reflects upon... So verse 5, he's reflecting upon what the team that preached the gospel to those in Thessalonica had personally experienced in the preaching of that gospel. That's verse 5. And second, the second reason 
for his conviction is Paul, beginning in verse 6, points out, as I said before, the Thessalonians' response to that gospel that Paul and his missionary team had observed with their own eyes because they were there and they saw what occurred and they had continued to minister to them and disciple them for some months, we believe, after the gospel was proclaimed to them and they received it. Now, we'll get around to looking at both these things in more detail. And by get around, I mean next Sunday, actually, okay? But first, there is this matter, and by that I mean verses 5 and 7 and the reasons that uh, Paul provided. But first, there is this matter of divine election or God's sovereign choice of an individual for salvation. It's it's something that we have uh, talked about before when it has come up in the text that we were moving through. Notice, though, that Paul doesn't take time to further explain or go into detail, at least here, concerning divine election or God's choosing of particular sinners to be saved. Which implies that the believers in Thessalonica had already been taught concerning the subject that Paul, most likely, taught them or instructed them in this doctrine. Otherwise, he says something that they would have no idea what he's talking about. So it's, it's safe to assume they understood it, they got it, because they had already been instructed in these things. One writer says, it seems obvious the doctrinal instruction had been given to them on this point, because Paul doesn't go on to expand in this area. And then he also says, the truth of election is really a basic element in Paul's view of the church. He He sees these things together, and he doesn't make it a separate thing. It was just part of his instructions concerning the gospel. So, they knew. They had been instructed in these things. And so then Paul didn't go into detail here about election. So, I'm not going to either. I've done it. As we move through the text, and when the text addressed it in detail, I've done it. But, there is something I do want to point out here that is in the text concerning election, all right? I want you to notice how God's choice of the individual for salvation is linked with God's love of the individual. It's linked. Look back at the text, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, the Apostle Paul says, for we know brothers loved by God, or brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ, those Thessalonians who had embraced the gospel by faith and repentance. For we know, brothers love by God, that he has chosen you. Another translation puts it this way, knowing your election, giving thanks, knowing your election, brothers loved by God. It's interesting. Any of you have a New King James uh, Bible in your lap maybe? Or you may have one at home, and so it was a very, uh, certainly a popular translation for, it was the translation pretty much, King James or New King James for, for many, many years. The New King James actually does not uh, put God with the love, but puts it with the election, as far as the word order goes. New King James puts it this way, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So they're just beloved brethren, it doesn't define it, beloved by who? 
and that their election was by God. Well, certainly their election's by God, but I'll just let you know, the New King James is absolutely alone on this translation. Every other translation puts the word order, I think, properly, because if you look at the original word order, it is that they are beloved by God. That's the word order. And that they are elect. So they are giving thanks unto God, knowing beloved or brothers, beloved by God, loved by God, your election, or your, and we know that the election occurs by God, so your choice or that you've been chosen by God. And uh, we could safely say that the King James or the New King James just gets it wrong there. Again, not a significant thing, but uh, just the wording, they get it wrong. Because in a parallel verse in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, so we're in 1 Thessalonians, so you look at 2 Thessalonians, Apostle Paul's also the writer, it's very clear that it's the love of God and the election of God, and these things are connected. Let me show that to you. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, but we ought to thank God always for you. Very similar, right? Uh, phrases and statements being made. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. So there's a link, a link between divine love and divine election. Again, we see this link in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. There the Apostle Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us, there's election, in Him before the foundation of the world. That's when this these electing purposes took place before the world was even made, before time began. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, there's the connection, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, in the beloved. The beloved is a reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you could translate it, his, his uh, dearly loved son. So that's where the blessings are found. Another translation of the Bible puts verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 1 this way, and I just, I like it, and so I wanted to share it with you. It reads like this, God chose us to belong to Christ before the world was created. He chose us, that is believers, to be holy and without blame in his eyes. He loved us. So he decided long ago to adopt us as his children. So it's a simple point, but one that I wanted to just draw out. God's sovereign, saving, rescuing love is what stands behind his choice of his redeemed people. A choice made before the world was even created, before time existed, before it began. A choice made in eternity past. 
And that choice of God becomes effective in the lives of God's elect or chosen through the Spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel to them. Okay? You with me so far? So, it is God's love, again, just to restate, that stands behind his choice of every Christian. One commentator looking at this text says, Paul unites the love of God and the election of God. That is, he chose us because he loves us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then this is true of you. He chose you because he loves you. And he goes on to say he loves us because he loves us. And by that he means not because we were worthy of this love, deserving of this love, had done something to make us lovely, because all of the opposite is actually true. But it is because God has just determined, according to his own plans and purposes, to set his saving love on you, if you are a follower of Christ. Consider those things. So, to remind you, and we've talked about this so many times, that word love, and it's the same with God. When we speak of love or God's love and the love we're to have for our brothers and sisters, a definition I've given you of love that I think is a biblical, and, it, and I, I didn't make it up. I, someone else came up with it, and I thought it was good, so I stole it, borrowed it, um, use it. Love, you could say, biblical love and God's love for you as a child of God, that love that, that chose you and elected you unto salvation and you, and you have experienced that if you're a believer today at some point through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Spirit drawing you unto God and causing you to turn to Him, repent, and place your faith in Him. Love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one love. There are more things we could say about biblical love, but that's a, a solid statement in and of itself. Love, including God's love, is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one love. Just consider that with me for a moment. In what sense was God's love self-sacrificing in that he elected you unto salvation. But how would that salvation come? Beloved, through the sacrifice of his only begotten Son, the divine Son of God, Jesus Christ, that he would offer him up. And Jesus, willingly, not grudgingly, accepted and took on that responsibility and that mission of God's salvation, the Father's salvation for the elect. He would die his son, the Father's son. He would die a, a cruel and horrific death. And, and normally I think we just think of the, the physicalities of that death, of the brutality of a crucifixion. And that was awful. It was awful. But other men had experienced that type of brutality as well. Now, the real awfulness, the real sacrifice, was that God's righteous, pure, and holy Son 
would become sin for us, for God's chosen, for the elect. That he would take upon himself the guilt and the penalty and all the wrath towards that sin, rightfully do. He would take it all upon himself there on that cross and suffer in a way that we can't possibly, possibly comprehend. That was the sacrifice. That, this was that sacrificing love of the Father. He loved and elected some unto salvation, which would require an incredible sacrifice, the sacrifice of his pure and righteous and holy son, who would step down out of the thrones and glory of heaven and take on humanity. It's a step down, beloved. That's, a, that's, you know, like you're up here, you got the nice room, and then they go, we don't have the nice room, we're giving you the lower room. That's a way lower room. Humanity, with all of its limitations and frailties, that he might become humanity's savior, and that he might go to that cross and lay down his life for all those that God had chosen and elected unto salvation in his love. Also, remember the definition. Love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment. Oh, man, God was committed for sure. The entire Trinity was committed to this great salvation. All operating, all achieving God's great purpose and plan. A self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one love. And that's the part I want you to remember. That's love. It sacrifices for the sake of the good of the other. And not just any good, but their highest good. Okay? So remember this divine election, this choice. It's united with this love. God's love. Hold that thought for a second. So one writer says, the doctrine of election means that God took the initiative He took the initiative because we wouldn't have. We were lost. We were blind. We were enslaved by sin. Rebels on the run. But God, in his love, and according to his electing purposes, took the initiative in our salvation because of his great mercy and love. Right? His great mercy and love. Another Bible commentator had this to say about God's election. Christians are the elect chosen of God solely by his sovereign, loving purpose. Don't miss that. His sovereign, yes, and loving purpose. Remember the definition of love? A self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. And of course, apart from any human merit, or wisdom. We, we didn't do anything to gain this. It was all God. From beginning to end, God. But God in his love for the sinner. God in eternity past sovereignly chose all believers to salvation, drawing them to himself in time. So before time, the decision was made, but in time it took place. It was realized. How was it realized? By the work of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. 
drawing the sinner unto himself, regenerating his dead heart, giving him life and causing him to turn away from his sin unto the Lord and granting him the gift of faith that he might believe in this great Savior and put his trust fully and completely in him. Now, beloved, there are, anytime I talk about this, because, man, it seems to be such a hot debate in the church concerning these things, but... uh, Let me just recommend a few additional resources to you concerning this idea, uh, this doctrine, this teaching that the Bible speaks to concerning election or God's choice. There's a book I've recommended to you before. It's called Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul, Chosen by God. Fantastic uh, resource. There are other good ones, but that's a great one. The other thing you can do is you could go back online and listen because I dealt with this in more detail because it was in the text when we went through Romans together. And um, I realize when you're looking through our, our messages online, you can't look them up by scripture, which is a bummer. You can only look them up by title or by date. So back in 2014, uh, September, starting around September 7th, you'd start there. Uh, there's a, a couple of messages called The Unbreakable Chain of Redemption. I think I get into it there because it's in the text concerning how God works out his salvation plan. And, and then there's like I think three or four messages, called God's Sovereign Choice, beginning with October 26, uh, taking us through Romans 9 and following. Yes? It does. That's true. But because there were so many messages in Romans, you have to click a million times to try to find it. And... You're, you don't, you don't, there's no, uh, still no text, so you have to know what the title of these sermons are. So anyway, I would encourage you in that. If you haven't, to go back, listen to that, consider these things. Certainly, uh, you might have questions, or, and so we want you to understand the doctrine, because it's a beautiful doctrine. But listen, today, I'm not, we're not diving deep. We are kind of exploring it. It's here. But I was just trying to point out to you God's, um, that Paul makes an emphasis here, and he does it in other places too, between the love of God and the election of God. And why might that be important? Well, con- consider for a moment, consider, there, are, there, are, there are a multitude of reasons, but let's just consider one, especially in light of the context. And remember what I said. Love is, it could be defined as, uh, hopefully you'll just, you'll, I'll say it so many times, it won't go away out of your minds, like that song you can't get out of, right? So love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment. It shows itself, right? I love you, but there's nothing to it. It's just words. No, it shows itself. It acts, right? It shows itself. How? Seeking the highest good of the one loved. All right. So, Here's the historical circumstances of the church and most churches in the first century and still to this day, many churches in other parts of the world. Remember, these are brand new spanking believers, really fresh, you know, year old, max, okay? And they entered into their faith experience and their relationship with Jesus Christ, abandoning, you know, paganism or in some cases just, or, but, but their whole culture was a pagan culture or giving up on the idea that Judaism was the way and that uh, believing that this Jesus was the Messiah and embracing him fully. And the Judaizers didn't like that because they had not embraced Jesus, Christ. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. 
So you've got hostility from the Jews that are unbelieving. You've got hostility from the culture and all your neighbors, right? The pagans who worship multitude of gods. And now you've embraced the one God who says there's only one God and all your other gods are baloney, fake, idols, imaginations. And the whole culture for the most part, was consumed with this paganism and it impacted every area of their lives. So these are brand new believers embracing Jesus Christ and then immediately facing persecution of all kinds and sorts. If you look at the text, it says it not too much longer. It's in in the second part of verse six. For you received the word the gospel, the message, how? In much affliction. That's how you received it. Because your culture and those around you remain hostile to Jesus Christ. In uh, First Thess, chapter 2, he addresses it again. Verse 14, for you, brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Okay? So why am I pointing all this out? Well, think about it. Just consider these things with me. Think it through. Okay. God has sovereignly elected me. I'm a believer in, in Thessalonica. And, and Paul has explained these things to me. He has sovereignly elected me and chosen me for the salvation. I have, because of that, embraced the Messiah in faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the resurrected one, the Lord of lords and King of kings. And because I believe those things, I have given up my paganism. I have rejected that. I have embraced fully this Lord Jesus. And as a result, I'm being persecuted. And life is not going so wonderful, at least life on the planet. In fact, if I would have remained in my paganism, then all of my friends and my family would have gladly embraced me. When I go to the market, they would have said, hey, Bob, how's it going? You here to worship one of our dumb gods? Of course, they wouldn't have said that. They would have said, you here to worship one of the many gods that we've imagined in our own minds? You know, hey, come over tonight and we'll make a sacrifice to this god, that god. You know, life would have gone on and it would have been fine. But now I come to Jesus and I'm coming to Jesus because God chose me for this very thing that I might live for him. And in the process of all that, I'm getting guff. Life's not going great, you know, and this whole idea, come to Jesus and everything will be wonderful. Are you kidding? Yes, everything will be wonderful. And we've said this before and I'll say it again, but coming to Jesus often makes life more difficult for you, at least here. At least here. In fact, even just set aside the moment for the persecution because it's hard for us to relate because we still live in a reasonably safe country for the time being where we don't feel that persecution to the degree that others did and do in other parts of the world, right? So it's hard for us. When, when I say it, I can just tell. It's like, check out. I don't really get it. You know, maybe we've experienced some persecution on with family, right? All of a sudden, you come to Jesus Christ and your family doesn't get it and they're upset with you and they don't like you talking about him 
or following him or living for him and they're mad that you won't do the things that you used to do with them, right? So you feel it maybe in that way or you, how about you bring up Jesus Christ at work depending on where you work. Like where I am, it's safe. It's totally safe to bring up Jesus. I never am afraid, generally speaking. I'm never afraid, you know? Depends on what we're talking about exactly. But in any other workplace, when I used to work in the secular world, you know, in non-religious world, oh my goodness. You know if you bring him up, anything could happen. And usually not great things, right? People get upset. They start giving you the evil eye. You're passed over for promotions. You're undermined. You're talked about. You're gossiped against. You're slandered. You with me? All right. And, 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 and let's just say all of that, right? We got all that. But then it's the matter of sin. All of a sudden, I come to Jesus. Before I was in my sin, I was like, la-da-da, la-da-da. You know, life is fine. Now I come to Jesus like, you've got this internal raging war going on inside of you. You're like, what is this all about? Well, this is New heart, new mind, spirit living inside of you who doesn't like sin. In fact, he hates it, and he doesn't want it to be any part of your life, and you're constantly just getting bombarded, and that's a great thing, a good thing, but it doesn't always feel good. It's a struggle. It's why we long for that new heaven and, and the new heaven and the new body where righteousness dwells, and this body is done and gone away with, and I no longer ever have to have that struggle against sin again. Right? So there's that, right? So you've got all these things going on, and why did that all happen? God elected you. He chose you, and he sovereignly brought you unto himself. So I've got persecution from the outside. I've got challenges on the inside because I came to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. But remember, you came to him because he elected you, and he elected you in his love. And we need to be careful never, ever to divorce the doctrine of election from the truth of God's love. Because that love is seeking your highest good. It's seeking your highest good. And that love is sovereign love and sovereign power that's going to not only seek it, but accomplish it. And so many of the letters we've read and looked at and we consider 1 Peter, yeah, they, might, they are experiencing persecution. They are experiencing affliction. And it is because God has chosen them and made him his own and brought to them preachers and given them his spirit that they might be born again. But know this, that choice was a choice made in love. And so that all that is happening to you, dear Christians at Thessalonica, all of it is a work of God's love. He will subjugate every bit of it to bring about your good. He will use it to conform you to the image of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. What greater good could there be? So the persecution comes, but God will work in you to cause you to persevere, to affirm your faith, to show you to be strong, not because you are strong, but because he who lives in you is strong, affirming again that you are his and establishing and strengthening your hope that you will be with him one day 
in that kingdom, in that righteous world. And so you begin to long more and look with greater fervor and focus unto that great kingdom. And you are enlivened and you, you find a confidence that you didn't once have. So you always, you never forget, yeah, he's elected me as a result of this election. As a result of bringing me unto salvation in this Jesus Christ. Yeah, life can become and does become more difficult because we live in a hostile world and we still possess broken bodies, sin, drenched, tainted bodies. And so there's a war, there's a battle, but in all of it, God is working out his good and loving purposes. He brought you in to his fold in love. And he is accomplishing your greatest good. You see? So then as you face these things, you remember, yes, this is love. And I can trust that God is working. He is working. Not only for his glory, certainly for that most and most important, but also this is so beautiful for your highest good. You know, I was just thinking, like, people get chosen, you know, you might be at work and there's a really bad job that someone has to do. And so you know what happens. They all get around, you know, the guys with seniority, and they decide, Bob, you're doing it. And it's terrible, right? And they don't choose you for this difficult task because they love you. They choose you for the difficult task because they don't want to do it. <laughs> they don't want to face it. They're, it's really a selfish kind of motive. They want to avoid the difficulty, so they lay it on you. You need to be careful never to consider that or think that way with God. Like, God, why? Why have you... Why all this struggle with my sin? Such a struggle... You're not like me. I don't understand. Why would you bring me into such difficult? Why, God, did you make me love Jesus now? And now now my friends have abandoned me and my family thinks I'm strange. They've disowned me. And I I used to have friends. I have friends no longer because I just can't do what they did before. Why? What are you talking about? Why? Huh? You've divorced then election from love. Remember, you don't want to know why because I love you, fool. Wake up, wake up, I love you. You know that you, this struggle you're having, that's a beautiful thing. You didn't have the struggle before. You gave yourself fully to your sin that's destroying you. So you should thank God that you struggle, that there is a war. And you should thank God for the persecution in the sense that it demonstrates something that is a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ, yeah, you're going to get heat. But that demonstrates the reality that you are his because he chose you and elected you, which means that heat, that persecution, how long is it? I don't know how long will you live on this earth. 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, what? But it ends. And when it ends, your suffering ends and your glory begins. But for everyone else who never experienced such things, their suffering goes from bad to even worse. As worse as it can get. Because they know not God. They were not saved. Uh, Okay. So, I have to be done. I know that's crazy.
And um, I had more. But I have to finish. It's a, I think. Is the clock right? Yes, the clock is right. Okay. So we're going to end there. I really wanted to get to this not only in Word in verse 5. We'll save that for next time. Uh, and that's going to be a, a doozy too. And then we'll also look at the rema- all of verse 5 and verse 6 and verse 7 next Sunday, Communion Sunday. So, beloved, just in closing, uh, as we consider these things, this Thanksgiving, the grounds of this Thanksgiving, the ultimate grounds, the ultimate reason for it was the knowledge of Paul and his team that these Thessalonians that they were giving thanks to God for were indeed elect, chosen by God in his love. And we just need to not miss the fact that this love of God and the election of God are connected together and consider the implications of those things for our own lives as we consider the doctrine of election. Don't divorce it from God's love. Always keep the two together. They're married. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that has occurred uh, this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to share in your goodness with this whole body as we Uh, celebrated the birth of Travis, Father, and bringing him into this world. And Father, I just continue to pray for that family. I pray that your word would work its way into our hearts, that we would embrace it more. Father, where there are questions or we're not sure of something or something is said that uh, we don't fully grasp, Father, I pray that we would uh, not just Forget about it, but look further into it. And by that, I mean diving into your word and exploring what does your word have to say about these things, that we might know the fullness of them and all the truth of them, and and then by that truth, uh, have the glory and the joy and the hope and the confidence and all those things that those truths bring. So, Father, I just pray, do your work among us and ask your blessing on us, your people, in Christ's name, amen.